Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. My name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you this morning. Um, we start out every Sunday by reading a psalm. This particular psalm is read across the world at other churches as well. So it's a way in which we are um, engaging in corporate um, worship and service with other uh, churches. This week we'll be reading Psalms one through Psalms 107. Verses 1 through 3, and then it jumps to verses 17 through 22. So it starts by saying, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their inequities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near the gates of death. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity in which we can gather and worship you, Father God. We thank you for our visitors here today. We thank you for the ones who are members of River City. We pray for those who are on their way, Father God. We pray for traveling mercies. We pray for the churches throughout the world, Father God, who are gathering today in your name. We pray for those who, have to, who are able to gather in public and those who have to gather in secret, God. God, we just thank you for all that you do for being so holy, Father God. We thank you that you give us grace and mercy. From this day forth, we love you. Amen. Lord, we sit here grateful, thankful for who you are. We do, we, we praise you for everything.
thank you for, for your healing touch. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your steadfastness, for your faithfulness, for your comfort, for your counsel, for your wisdom. For we are humbled by your presence here today. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for going with us from here. Thank you for your constancy in our lives. Give us eyes to see your presence each and every day, in every situation, good or bad, you are present. Thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. All right, really quickly, um, we've got a quick space update. For those of you who know what's going on, we have been in prayer and seeking about our destination as a church for the past six months. Our lease runs up here in about five more months, and so we started that process a while back. Now we're kind of knee-deep in it, and our original deadline was January 31st. We got an extension after prayer and fasting, kind of saw it as God doing something. And over the past few weeks, you've heard or seen on the prayer wall or through me giving updates here that we have made an offer on part of the space downstairs at Ozone um, that would help with kids' ministry and middle school. And it was kind of a Hail Mary offer, one of those, and we didn't hear back until last week. We heard back, and they basically the long and short of it is they did not really want us to take half the space. It works out better for them if we took the whole space. That's a lot of money. That's kind of where our brains are at. That's a lot of money. And so we felt like as a wise counsel, we were supposed to press in and pray, right? Um, the bottom line essentials are, unless God does another miracle, we will be in this space and possibly going to two services in the near future, mostly because of kids. But this new option affords us a couple things that we couldn't do otherwise. And I'll just give you a brief description of those. Um, it gives us the ability to look at a space to be used for multi-purpose environments, i.e. possible schools leasing our space during the week to have somebody in here. That space downstairs being used as a community office share space starting to possibly develop some of the business-related ventures we've talked through as a church over the past couple years. And then just having a place for Campbell High School when they come, when we're serving that ministry, the football team, it affords us a lot of opportunities, but it, it's money. And we don't have all the money in the world. And so what we did is we asked you guys to pray and fast, and then we asked our wise counsel to fast. And if our wise counsel could go ahead and come to the front with me. We all kind of felt like after this news came, well, one, because we were a part of getting this original space, we had no thought that they would even respond to us. They haven't really been willing to work with us. So their original offer to us for this was more than one-third off of what the asking price is, which is in itself a miracle, even if we decide not to do it. It's just fun to see God work like that. Um, but we all felt like we're supposed to press in and pray, and because we felt like we fasted and prayed, we got an extension, which is not normal with this group, and Ozone left last week. All of these things 
are connected to something that we, sh ozone is the place that was there, they're not there anymore. So this space is open now. Uh, we felt like we should pray. And so I asked the wise council this morning, just as we've been praying, we wanna look at logic and we are, we're not gonna do anything dumb, but what have you been sensing and feeling from the Lord about this? So it's not just business decisions, even though that's important. So they're, they're gonna answer you guys kind of going down. Just say your name too, if people don't know. You can hand it to Leslie. Ida? Um, as we started praying, I really felt like, um, you know, in the beginning, it was like, wow, this is a big decision. We've got a lot to think about. Um, but over time, the Lord just kept saying, it's less about the destination and more about the journey as a body. And it's more important that we are united in whatever decision we make um, so that when we land in whatever that decision is, that we are all owning that decision. Like it's, it's ours. If we go to two services, whether that was our favorite thing or not, we are about serving and making it successful and, and you know, giving God the glory for it. And so um, I just feel since that has started or since we've been moving in this direction that the Lord is going to reveal, there's going to be a moment where we have um, a decision to make and the answer is going to be very clear. And because we've been trusting him the entire way that we will be at peace and have confidence in that decision. So. And I'm Leslie. I'm uh, frontline working on the lease negotiations, the lease amendment. Um, so I'm talking with the brokers and not not the landlords. We've we've never really spoken with them. Um, but but similar to Alita, you know, it's you look at it and you go, this this is a big number. This is this is a little scary. It's a little uncomfortable. But Lord, is this what you want? And with the development this past week. Um, I really felt like the Lord's opening doors, he is making a way, and we're going to know what the right decision is when that time comes. We're not there yet, um, but, but we're, we're going to know what the right way to go is going to be. Thanks. I'm Steve Bennett. I'm the treasurer. I would say I'm paid to worry about money, <laughs> but I volunteered to worry, I guess. Um, so, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, just to back up a little bit, um, for those of you who haven't been here that long or missed Josh's uh, points on this, Josh used to be about growing and numbers and performance, and he's trying to break away from that. Um, so our church really isn't about pushing numbers and how many people can we jam in, but we are growing, so we do need to deal with uh, a space issue. But I'm very excited. Um, this is all God for sure uh, with these possible door openings and uh, kind of we're all in agreement that um, what we need to do or should do will be very obvious in, in the not too distant future. I'm Alex and um, you can imagine the five personalities plus Josh in the room um, how we can be pretty strong-willed but what was cool about this whole process has been the sweetness of the unity. And so Josh felt he had a word this morning about weight. And for us as business people, professionals, whatever, waiting on God is always hard because he always shows up. And, you know, Nancy and I believe that he is going to show up. And so we're trusting that we're going to do our due diligence and that we're going to try to make the best possible decision and as, as we walked out of the meeting this morning, there was a sweetness of oneness 
that was really cool. That doesn't mean it's not going to get challenging. doesn't mean we have to make some hard decisions, but a lead is right. We will know what the right decision is, and we're going to walk through that. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys for being here on my least favorite Sunday of the year. Um, I'm so antsy about waking up and missing sleep that I don't get to sleep at all. That's what happens to me on nights like last night, because I have to be up, and two of my kids came and got me in the middle of the night, one of them freaking out, wanted to go get in the tub. He just does that kind of thing. Just walk with him, like, let's get in the tub. What are we doing, buddy? I don't know. Maybe just go back to bed. Another one climbed on top of me mid-sleep, which feels like you're in the middle of a war, and some, twice, so, so that's... I already couldn't sleep before that, so I woke up at the new five, which was four. Yeah, also known as four. But I feel like this message is a good message, not because I have any kind of, I just feel like he's in it. I just had one of those weeks when I was reading these passages and these scriptures, and I was feeling like, God is really in this. Um, and it comes from the passage that talks about loving God and loving people, and I'm, I'm also one of the, while I try and fight kind of building our own thing, which I'm very vocal about because I could probably slip into it at any moment, I also don't like things that are so Christianized that they become like just almost like vanilla. And an example is John 3.16. Whenever I see that, I'm never like in worship about it. I'm always like, God, guys, just be more creative. Like there's other passages in the Bible. And then the new one that I think we've kind of made a creed is in the last 10 years because of the business model that is kind of blended into churches, find your, find your theme, find your main, find your vision. There's a lot of church talk about those things. They spend all kinds of time on that. And the big one right now is love God and what? That's like, on, that's like every church's motto, which is not a bad motto if Jesus says if you're going to focus on one thing. But in me, what it does is it creates this gap of like really interacting with it because it's so repetitive, right? So I'd like to to look at this passage today with maybe a, a new set of lenses and hopefully debunk what I feel like is a massive trap for this passage, which I've bitten the apple of the trap in this passage, which just right off the front I'll tell you is you need to love God more. You need to love God more. Like there's been so many messages preached about loving God more, right? My son plays baseball. When he doesn't hit, I tell him to hit more like a huge moron. Because that's not what he was trying to do already, right? I'm the one who helped him notice, right? That's what I think. That the big, huge trap in this passage is you're not really loving God to your full capacity. So love him more vibrantly. Love him more loudly. During worship, be more energetic, right? With your Christianity and your devotional time, read more scripture, right? Like this, this is a Christian. Do more for God. That's the trap we need to debunk because that's not where it starts. And so, what is the most important thing? For me, I've got a thing I do every day, every morning. I write out a list. And I preach on this a lot because it's just, I think it's a funny quirk of my personality. I write out a list every day, and I accomplish that list in order. <laughs> I'm a huge nerd. And I know, I know millennial. I know hipster. There are apps that do this for me. But I have to write it, and I have to circle and scribble it out, something about that process for me. And it is massively important that I do this. I will forsake a lot of other food, maybe not coffee. Coffee's right at the top with this. Conversations with humans, brushing teeth, showers is all secondary. I actually write out shower, brush teeth. 
I'm four years old. So, so, and I can tell you when something interferes with this process, it is no small thing in me. And I laugh about it and talk about it, but even if a kid comes up and is like, hey, Dad, I broke my foot. I'm like, that's great, but it's not on my list. <laughs> I don't, you can read every one of these. Seriously, that would be a struggle. And so it makes me think of the question, you know, what is the most important thing? We all have the things that are the most important things. For some of us, our kids. For some of us, it's how we treat our kids. For some of us, it's how we're perceived as parents over our kids. For some of us, it's our education. For some of us, it's our stances or non-stances, our appearances, what we feel is um, trendy, uh, whatever it is. For all of us, it's so different. If we were to all just say it all at the same time and don't, each of us would have a different most important thing. And I would say this up front, most of us probably aren't locked into like when, when I asked you that question outside of Christianity, most of us wouldn't say loving God and loving people. Like That's just the truth if we're answering from our heart. And I don't want to create this type of burden in that statement as much as awareness. I think it's okay to be aware when you're not thriving. That's the entry route into dependency. Not into performance, but into dependency. And so I've had a few seasons as a Christian, as a high schooler. I think to me the most important thing, and I think this is the early stages of Christianity, is to not sin. I think that's a clear evangelistic message that you get when you're young is sin is bad, and if you do it, that's bad, right? And you'll go to where? Target or Kmart. You'll go to where? If you sin, so that's, pre- that's, a pretty, that's pretty good marketing for a 14-year-old kid, right? I definitely don't want to go to hell, so I better not sin. So our, our initial most important things are built around probably fear. For me, it definitely was do not sin, right? Second phase, too deep in sin to really be good at that um, or even care after a season. So the second phase was I need to see some people that care. It wasn't me needing to care. Second phase for me was like, I'm looking around. Does anybody actually care? All these people that were telling me not to sin now, what are they into when I'm fully off, off track? I need to see them care. I think the third phase for me was after the fallout of a bunch of bad decisions and kind of receiving Jesus possibly in the right way was I need to be happy. That's not everybody's. The other two might be other people's. I felt like as a Christian, I, just, I need to be happy. That felt like an important one, right? Like maybe Joel Osteen was really killing it at that time. And he is always smiling. So I felt this immense amount of pressure to appear happy. And that's right about the time when I started dating Sarah. And I think it worked partially because we're still together. Amen? High fives. So I spent a lot, I spent a lot of mental energy appearing. I can just think back to like being in church for the first time and, and a, to making myself appear like things were good. Like that, that felt very important. It wasn't anything I thought through. It, just, it was naturally... This is important. I, I just gotta, I gotta hold myself together. I'm gonna be positive about this. I think the next phase took about 10 years of deconstruction of bad identity, and I think the phase that I'm still in now, that I'll be in until I'm in my next phase of what's most important, is, and I'm on my, I'm on my list now. I gotta read my list since I'm here. Preach. Okay, we're good. All right. So the next thing for me is honesty and identity and transparency, and. I can't think of anything else right now in my life that's more important than that, especially as a pastor. I feel like this is a weight I have to carry as a pastor because I think there's a lot of no fault of their own. I think people have just bitten the apple 
there's not a lot of transparency in church. I think specifically from stages, you just kind of feel like there's a distance, right? That's the man of God or the woman of God, and God has anointed them and called them, and they are well different or beyond anybody else, and there's this big distance created. So I feel like part of our call, and specifically a burden I carry, is bringing flesh to this that we are, we are one and the same, right? We are, at best, I'm an under-shepherd to the actual shepherd, helping guide people while I'm needing an extreme amount of guidance, right? So transparency, honesty, sometimes to a flaw, is mine right now. So as you start, and we start to talk about this passage, this question that is asked to Jesus is, what is most important? It's very important. What is most important? And he has a very quick answer, right? Context here, we're still in Mark. It's chapter 12. This is the third occurrence on the same day, on a Wednesday, when people have come up to Jesus in the midst of him doing something. And I will just say this about this. He is two days away from being crucified. And I imagine because he's Jesus, he's probably thought through how important each conversation is, right? So each day he's doing things, it's a couple days till he's dying, until he's going. And so each person that enters into his already decided schedule, if I were in his shoes, I would be very annoyed. This is the third conversation in the temple where people have come up to try and trap him. And he is the most gracious, loving, honest person with each of them. He does not see these as interruptions, which I think is beautiful in the context of him talking about loving God and loving people. Because it's so vast and vague, there's a little bit of play here on the fact that he is in the midst of trying to train his disciples and anyone who will listen, here's what's about to happen. The gospel is this, in two days, in four days I will be resurrected. They don't even get it. He's walking them through these most important things, and people are interrupting, interrupting him, and he sees these as opportunities to share the same kind of gospel, right? It really destroys my whole model of list in half. Like it, it, it destroys it. It reminds me that when I feel like I have exactly what I need to live this Christian life, it's going to be about this and this and this, and then when something interrupts that, that it's not an interruption, There are no interruptions, right? That we are to be fully present where he's put us, and we don't decide the schedule all the time. Jesus had a schedule. These people had things they needed to talk to him about. He didn't seek it. Well, he probably did. He was Jesus. But he had to make room for that, and it became the loving God and loving people portion. Does that make sense? It's outside of the construct of what he had planned, but it is what God had planned. I love that. That's not us. Slowing down and being present is not the American culture. So today, just know where we're at in this passage. Two days from now, crucifixion. The day before, he flipped over the tables. Third conversation. Sadducees just talked to him. He debunked them. A thousand-year-old conversation in one phrase. And now the scribes are going to come up. And they're going to try and trap him as well. But I'm going to read you the passage. This is Mark 12, 38 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, pause right here, scribes and Sadducees do not like each other. The reason is because the Sadducees believe that the first five books of the Bible are the only books that are important, and they don't believe in any miracles or afterlife or any of that. The scribes and the Pharisees believe in what's called the oral law, and they spent their life copying it, giving it to people. And so this conversation before would have made the scribes happy. They would have seen like, Look at those idiots. <laughs> it's so amazing that they thought they could trap Jesus, and they didn't. We will, and they don't. It's pretty funny also what happens to them. Um, 
But again, too, I'll say this. Jesus isn't in any of these conversations to win. There's no drive in him to be like, see, I told you so. Like, see, see what you did? He's not trying to win. He's trying to love. He's always trying to love. So, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. So he, he doesn't just give one, he gives two and kind of combines them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. I just love like the brass of this person talking to Jesus. Like, you, you're right, Jesus. Like, Jesus is probably like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I don't even know where I am. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And I think the reason for some of this is the scribes are kind of revered. They're really intelligent. This is actually a lawyer. A lawyer is different then than now. They just study the law to understand. They're not actually like Bill was, not that kind of lawyer. It's a very different thing. And I think people see these people who are, people believe they have actually memorized the Old Testament. I still have a hard time believing that because that's a lot to memorize, right? I'm good with one whole song, and even that, like, a couple of words, I'm going to be off a little bit. The whole OT, that's a lot. But people probably revered them and were like, all right, we're going to give some space now. We're going to let Jesus take a breather. He's had three come. That was a scribe, so let's back off. No one dared ask any more questions, right? I think that's really important. So who is a scribe specifically? They literally spend their lives copying the scriptures, the oral law. They use something called the Mishnah along with it. They interpret it, and then they give it out to be taught, right? They are at odds with the Sadducees. They are revered. They are intelligent. They are people that know what they're talking about. I think this comes through in this conversation because you see, I love in this conversation with this scribe, when he starts to notice Jesus answering like, well, there's no like, anger that Jesus is answering well, I, I, this isn't said here. I think he's found himself a conversation. He's like, finally stimulated. Like, wow, this guy's actually, there's actually a conversation I'm about to have with a non-moron. And so I think, I think the scribe, this is scribe talking. I think the scribe's like intrigued, like, all right, let's see where he goes with this. So he's like, yeah, you, you answered correctly. This scribe has asked this question and answered this question many times before. The reason I know that is because it's kind of known that the Pharisees had taken the law and made as many as they possibly could. I want to read you a quote from Barclay. Moses received 613 precepts on Mount Sinai, 365 according to the days of the sun year, and 248 according to the generations of men. David decided to reduce these 613 to 11 in Psalm 15. Isaiah then reduced these to six in Isaiah 33. Micah then reduced these to three in Micah 6, 8. 
And once again, Isaiah brought them down to two in Isaiah 56. Keep justice, do righteousness. And then finally, Habakkuk reduced them all to one in chapter 2-4. The righteous shall live by faith. So what was kind of happening in this day, because there were so many laws, it was kind of common for people to ask the question, so if there's all these laws, and they actually had them categorized into kind of strong and soft laws. The strong ones you would never break, and the soft ones you're like, whatever, speed limit's what, 65? Cool. All right, we're good. I'm going to go 74, because that's not 10 over where they're going to pull me over, right? Nobody does that, though, right? Like, we we have these, too. Like, here's soft and hard things. That was how it was. But they all wanted to have this idea of if you had one, what would the one be? The most popularized one of the time was by someone called Hillal. And you can pull up this passage for me, and I think it's in the original way I told you to put it, and then I just put it back, Bill, so forgive me. He actually said, if you're trying to answer this question to anybody, you should be able to stand on one foot, again, this is legitimate, and answer the question before you fall over. And here was his answer. What you hate about yourself, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. (laughs) But he was doing it like this, right? Like, on one foot. We also see in Luke 10.25, I'm I'm jumbling you up, I'm sorry. Bill's a a structurist, so sorry, Bill. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He He wanted one answer, right? He would like one answer. It wasn't something he ended up enjoying. The next one is, you can just pull up the next passage. You know what it is up there. This is Matthew 19, 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This was a common thing. I understand that there's 613 of these. I understand there's one for each day. But if you could just tell me, if you condensed it, what would it be? Jesus, the way that he does this, the first time it's been done like this. No one else had done it like this. And the cool thing about what he did is he, if you don't know, like, context to Scripture, which I just encourage, you should read Scripture to understand it. He takes what's called the Shema, which is taken from Deuteronomy, and you can pull this up, 6.4. And this is an important passage for this community because they said it when they woke up. They said it when they went to bed. They actually had something called a philiferite. Philiferite. I'm, I'm looking at you, but I'm just thinking in my brain. Am I saying it right? And they would put a box on their forehead, if you want to look this up, that stuck out about this far, and it was tied around their head because they wanted this scripture to be right next to their mind. Sometimes they put it over their heart. It was a, it was over, it was a little overkill, right? It was slight overkill. But they thought that this was their creed, and it was that important, so they were willing to kind of make these extra steps to say, this is that important. And this is what it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do we have the next part of that, five and six? Is there any way to pull that up? Go ahead and pull that up. That's my fault again. Um, But they combined it. This is the Shema, and they combined it with Leviticus uh, 19.18. And Leviticus 19.18 is actually written to the Jewish people only and excluded the Gentiles. So when this passage is read, I'm sorry, I'll read this for you. Pause break. Okay, yes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And I think this is why they decided to make one of these little, like, we're just going to build a box and put it on our person, right? That's probably what he meant. So we'll put it here and put it here. So you see these people walking around, you're like, that guy knows what he's doing. He is thinking about Deuteronomy 6.4 right now. He's probably never thinking about it. Nobody really knew it was in their boxes. I'm just going to be honest. 
If we had those, we would all have something sneaky in there, but they didn't. But he used that, and he combined it with Leviticus, and you can pull up this passage, which is this. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This particular version of this was written only to the Jewish people. What he did to kind of flip the tables in this was to exclude language that was only for his people to include other people, all people. So what he's saying in this is now, love the Lord your God with all of these four things that are almost, that are impossible to do as humans, and now love the neighbor as you love yourself. But not just the Jewish people, because it was okay for them to hate the Gentile at this point. Now, everyone. So this was a big, massive deal. Love God, love people. Does that make sense to everybody? So, Mitten has a quote I want to read to you. If you can pull this up, Bill. And I'm not going to spend too much time on who is your neighbor, and I'm not going to spend too much time on love yourself, because there is bad theology on love yourself, right? Like, and I've, I've actually had a person leave our church for this statement. Don't follow your heart. And I'll say it again. Do not follow your heart. Your heart is wicked. It is not Jesus, and it does not know where to go. And if you followed your heart everywhere, you would be right now on a magical island in the middle of a mystical universe that doesn't exist. Because when you were four, that's what you wanted, right? You cannot follow your heart. You can test your heart to see if it's true. You can see if it wants the things of Jesus. But if it doesn't, do not follow your heart. It will harm you for sure. And I also, this idea that loving yourself is like you're first, you know, and there is a lot of theology or meology that teaches that you should, you should be number one and Right? Nobody puts you in a corner or on a pedestal or, or whatever. You know, you, that's fine. That's not what this is saying. It's saying love yourself like this. It's, this is the idea. Love your neighbor like you'd love yourself. Like, are, are you going to eat today, right? You need to eat. Love your neighbor like that. You've, you're going to take care of, you're going to make sure you have clothes on your person, right? But even that is extremely impossible because the massive amount of people who have need are unmeetable by just you, Right? But I want to read this quote by Minton to you. All within home, those we meet, these are the people we love. All within home, those we meet at work, in our church, and in recreations. And more than that, our employer is our neighbor too. So are our work people, all who serve in shops, the men who empty our dustbins, and those who try and keep the streets and parks clean. So too are the people of Jamaica, and West Africa, or Kenya, and Germany, and Russia, and any nation with any human in any part of the world, enemy or non-enemy to America. They are our neighbor, period. If you don't believe that, you are wrong theologically and scripturally. That is the word of God. So, sorry. If we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, we shall want for them the treatment we want for ourselves. Were we in that place, right? I love this quote because it reminds us it's also impossible. So, the trap's here. The trap is this. It's impossible to do what was just asked of you. I've heard so many sermons where they took this passage and said, be a better Christian. America's full of terrible Christians, and we don't need any more terrible Christians. Instead of talking about how certain are you that Jesus loves you before anything happens? How certain are you of your worth before you prove how good you are? 
How certain are you of the things that matter most before any of that happens? I'm tripping over this thing every time. Like, it's killing me. Jesus, help me. So, even look at this, John 14, 15. Can, can you pull this up first, Bill? If you love me, this actually has been a passage for me that has never felt like freedom. This has literally felt like I should quit Christianity at this point. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? There's 613 of them, right? Even Jesus' commandment, he tells, is so vast and vague. How, how am I supposed to understand how to do that, right? And I know that you've already formed some kind of theology that you figured out what that means, but if you've gotten to that point, you haven't. You haven't understood it because this whole thing was said. Remember when Jesus is saying this. In four days, he rises from the dead. In two days, he's killed, He's trying to put them in a spot that they have to ask a question. There's some kind of tension here that I can't answer. I definitely cannot love God with my whole heart, my whole being, my everything. Even at our best, the best in here at doing that could probably do it at about 25%, and you'd still be 75% off. This passage was written to remind people that there's a dependency that's about to happen that you have to understand. You're not going to accomplish this. Can you pull up Romans, please? Romans 3, now I'm going to read you quite a few scriptures. What then? Are we, Jew, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no one, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no one, even one. Their throat is an open grave. They have their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps are under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Okay, before you freak out, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bears witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. He's reminding them of a thing that's impossible to do so that they know, I need to be looking for something else. What is it? He's standing before them. The something else is with them. In the Old Testament, the closest thing they could get to the presence of God is crafting a small box and putting it on their head. And daily he was with them. He's trying to show a group of people who are already trying to strive to accomplish a law that has been picked apart too much. People think it's this. Hillel thinks it's this. This guy thinks it's this. This is the most important thing, this. None of it is. It's about a dependency. So he gives a vague answer like love God and love people, which could be construed in so many different ways that you'd have to have someone showing you what it means. He's trying to create a dependency. Loving God and loving people. Can you pull up? 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so, as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but for perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he does not see. And this commandment we have from, from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what's being said here? They're being put in a position where they're noticing there's a dependency. They don't have the answer. And he's saying to them, In four days, this is the story of what's happening in four days for them. Something will happen that will then shift everything, and it will be about your faith in that happening, not in you accomplishing it. So for you today, for me, how how do we interact with what's actually most important? Because you have it. How far is it from love God and love people? Is there some kind of a distance between that and what's really in your heart? I just want to say this to you. If that's happening and you're not in a spot where you feel like you're loving God and loving people, don't strive. Don't go figure out how to do it more. Don't create a plan to figure out how to do it. Don't make a list of these are the six things that I have to do to make sure he knows. I've got to be a Republican. I've got to be a Democrat. I've got to do this. I've got to not watch CNN. I've got to watch Fox News. I've got to not do this. I've got to make sure I never curse. I've got to never drink wine. I've got to to never gossip. I've got to only gossip when I pray, because that's okay. Somebody told me that's okay. Don't do that. Don't start down that route. Don't. This is what we do in this setting, because we're afraid of punishment. I feel the pressure that I'm not living like I should, so let me make a list of the most easy things for me to fix so that I can That's not the point. The point is you should feel in that chasm the dependency that is there even if you're doing your list. You need Jesus, period. And without him, you will not accomplish loving God or loving people. And without him, many have decided, let's just forget about one or the other. Let's just love God and forget about people because two are... And that's why you have, you know, I I truly believe this, and I am someone who is, quote-unquote, spirit-filled. This is why we have places that only focus on the ministry in the church and things like expression of worship and passion because we're doing our best to reach God with our energy and action 
And we don't have to do it that way. And then we have a whole other group of people who have decided, the church is stupid. Why are we gathering in buildings when people are dying and going to hell? And so they spend all of their energy outside the church working and serving and slaving and really just accomplishing some form of their own written law. Because it's impossible to do either without Jesus being the one that does it to us first. Both are important. So for the person who feels like church isn't valuable anymore, I would have a long disagreement with you about that. I've been in your seat and really questioned its validity because of the the people who have led it, because of the brokenness. It's worth it if it's initiated by God and understood in that way. For those of you who think they'll be poor with us always. My grandmother, before she passed on, God rest her soul, literally told me once, and I loved her. She was very much from Jasper and very opinionated. So she told me, because we were talking about the poor and how that's kind of the responsibility of the church. We need to stop acting like the government's job is to make sure that they take care of the poor. Like it's, if the church was just adoption alone, like if, if the church decided we would adopt, we could alleviate that problem in America, right? So she told me like, you know, but the Bible says the poor will always be with us, so we don't even really need to focus on that. Like, ah. Oh, Grandma. <laughs> Little off on that one. Right? So don't be... But then there's the people, God, there's the people who only think that's, that's the only value in Christianity is where are we serving? How can we point to what River City's doing outside these walls? That's not more important than this. It's just if one or, one or the other's off, it's not right. But the only way any of it's on is dependency on Jesus for all of it. You, we will not, right, we don't need to be River City International because there's plenty of stuff in Smyrna, right? We don't need, if we just hone in right now, Jesus, what do you want us to do? We're dependent on you. We will listen. We will wait on you. We'll have beautiful services. We'll have beautiful community. We'll see beautiful expressions of the gospel in this city, dependent on him. Does that make sense? I desperately don't want to be rambling. If you guys want to stand with me and worship, if you want to come up. God, we do celebrate that we get to love you well and love others well. But so much more than that, we celebrate that we don't have to conjure up the strength to do it. We have to place our complete emphasis on the fact that you became sin and our righteousness. And that we give no gift to you or to others without you giving giving us exactly the gift you're asking for. You're not asking for anything from us that you're not already fully giving us, initiating, for you first loved us. So with those of you right now that there's this tension, I'm definitely not loving God and loving people. Do not bite the apple of performance to go and conquer the list. Do not be a Pharisee or a scribe or a Sadducee that decides these are more important and I'll just spend my life on these. Mental checklist, good Christian, amen. Feel the struggle in your soul that's drawing you to a dependency on a Jesus that will have to walk with you for you to do either. Like a box on your forehead or on your heart that his word would be written on your heart. Feel how you have failed at loving God and loving people as an invitation, not as an indictment. Sense how you can't make sense of it and have not been good at it. Own it. You have to. And then sense and feel Him drawing you to the cross. 
where he says to you, this is my gift. He does it humbly, lovingly, 100%. And he says your dependency will only be met in this space. You can search all over the world. You can join organization after organization. You can start mission after mission. You can go to mega churches. You can go to churches that are the best at worship in the world. You can go to churches that have systems so good for serving. You will not find it anywhere outside of me. I'm your strength. I'm your shield. I would love to give you all of me. So I just want to do with your hands out in front of you, facing down. I want you to mentally in your mind's eye and imaginative prayer, give over to him the things that's, that come into your mind when you realize how distant you are. For me, Father, you know it's performance always. It will always be something I can do to win you back to me. I place that at your feet. It will be preaching great for me. It will be the apple of trying to appear whatever, I don't know, physically fit for some of us, attractive, performance at our jobs. We, we place all those down. Super Christian, we place it down. Terrible Christian that failed, we place it down. We set those at your feet. We feel the depend, dependency. Now I want you to turn your hands over. Now, Father, we receive from you the gift that has to be given and received that we have done nothing to deserve. We receive from you the gift of your Holy Spirit gives us the strength to walk and be in this world as a light on a hill, as cities on a hill, to our neighbors, co-workers, families, to the man in the grocery line, to the woman at the bank, to the person we drive past that's asking for money for marijuana, to everyone that we come across. We have to receive it. And I just ask you in an imaginative prayer kind of context, what is he giving you? Father, fill us. If you need prayer at all, prayer will be open. We'll close out in just a few minutes. Father, we pray that you would go before us, that you would be with us, and that we would remember that we are your people. We are your chosen people here to love people well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.